Hey, welcome to a very popular Town Hall Academy series with the Business Coaches Lab. We are talking building an enduring business culture. Look, this is one of the most important business strategies you need to work on, more important than the latest scan tool. Hey, thanks for being here as we talk the business of the aftermarket and building an enduring business culture. I'm just a shop owner and we're just a guy, we're just a, a business that fixes cars. Why do I need all this crap? To get the culture, it has to be two-way communication, which means shut your hole and listen. Welcome, automotive aftermarketers, to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hey, Carm Capriato here, and so glad to welcome you to Academy Episode 132 with the Business Coaches on Building an Enduring Business Culture. You know, it's important for you to know of the support that Jasper Engines and Transmissions has made to bring you the Town Hall Academy each week for you as a free webinar and podcast. You know, Jasper is a great example on having a strong business culture, and it shows in everything they do. So when your customer's vehicle continues to age and the likelihood that their engine or transmission is going to wear out is a distinct possibility. And when that day comes, Jasper will be the name to remember. Jasper's remanufactured products cost considerably less than a new vehicle, so it just makes sense to choose Jasper. Passion and enthusiasm for our automotive aftermarket runs through my veins. And I know one thing for sure. If you're listening, you have a passion for what you do. Do you know someone who's struggling to grow a great automotive service business? Please put them in touch with the podcast. And I know they'll thank you as they find a treasure of insights, ideas, and best practices that they can use to make some bold steps in turning around their business. Remember, that's what we do here. We talk the business of the aftermarket. You know, you can find the key talking points and my guests' bios and links to their previous episodes at remarkableresults.biz slash A132. And don't forget, the key talking points are already done for you. With me to talk about building an enduring business culture is Murray Voth, RPM Training, Rick White from 180Biz, Cecil Bullard, the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence, and Bob Greenwood, Automotive Aftermarket E-Learning Center. As I said before, building a strong and vibrant business culture is required today. And I know that our industry's top shops have a strong culture in place and that they're always tweaking and improving it. It is the foundation and ground zero for hiring and keeping the right people and also in attracting and providing a great customer experience. We've decided to have a two-parter because just one academy discussion cannot do justice to the time needed to discuss building an enduring business culture. So prepare, get in some deep thought, and enjoy this episode. And don't forget, no need to take notes. They're already done for you. See the show notes page and start your trek to build an enduring business culture. Now, listen to one of the more important episodes in the archives that can have a huge impact on your business, only if you implement. Building an enduring business culture, probably one of the biggest and most important topics that business coaches and or uh, that, that I know you guys are talking about, but the uh, service professional needs to have. Um, you know, the longer organizations look for a competitive advantage and a sustainable way to grow their organizations, the more important culture becomes. So if you're a leader looking to create, improve or nurture your organization's culture, you have come to the right place. With me is Bob Greenwood, from the Automotive Aftermarket E-Learning Center. Hello, Bob. 
Good day. Rick White, 180Biz. Cecil Bullard, the Institute for Business Excellence, and Murray Voth, RPM Training. We have a limited amount of time today. Uh, We have about 40 minutes. I know you guys will never be able to cover the value of culture uh, and what it means to the aftermarket and what it means to the... uh, uh, to, to all of our business owners out there, including everyone who works with and inside the business. I think it's time that we, that we take culture up uh, a bunch of steps. We need to really climb those stairs. So I want to start with you, Rick. Um, can you define culture for us? I think culture is simply an environment where people can flourish and grow. I mean, if you think back to the old days, you know, when you talked about a culture, it was typically medical. They would take a swab of something and they would put it in a Petri dish, which would, and then they would put it in a warm spot. So they were creating an environment to see what could grow. And that was the culture. Um, and I think the important thing is to understand, you know, everybody, I, I talk to shop owners and, and they're, they're passing themselves as they walk, you know, through their day. And I think you got to understand why culture is important. It's not just to make it a great place to work. It's not so you all can sit around a fire and sing Kumbaya. The reality is culture is going to attract the best people and it's going to help you make more money because it takes friction out of your business. Mm. That's why you want culture. Yeah, I think it also changes your life because it does when you have a business that runs well and people are all on the same page going towards the same direction, then your life is easier. There's less hecticness or whatever you want to call it. And stress, less stress, a lot less stress. So I'm so, I'm so into culture that I've actually hired consultants every year and brought my people from all over the country into our facility for two days to just talk about the company culture and create the company culture that we want. The culture is who you are, what you stand for. Yeah. Who are you? And I don't think enough shop owners have given a lot of thought. Who do they really want to be and what do they want their business to look like and stand for? So that when their company's name is mentioned in the public, people have that vision as to what they are and who they are and how they do business. That culture is everything in building your company today. Guys, you're, 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 you're onto something really big here. And if I was listening at the other end and I'd say, okay, great. Uh, so what really is it and how do I define it and how do I establish it? And are there words on the wall? And it goes back to vision, mission, values. Am I right? I'm just a shop owner and we're just a guy. We're just a, a business that fixes cars. Why do I need all this crap? That's the question. And the, and the answer is, I need a good mission statement that we believe in and that we live because it makes my people think in a very specific way about my company. Not, not necessarily even the people outside, the people inside. How they think about your business is your culture. And your culture of what you're defining, Cecil, is absolutely bang on. Culture is accountability internally. That's, that's a good piece. There's a good piece to it, yes. Everybody has each other's back. That's a culture. It, you know, I, I was just in a shop yesterday and nobody's on the same page. There's no goals. There's no, it's, it's, we need to fix cars. Well, okay, but it isn't fixing cars. It's taking care of people. It's, it's taking care of the people that you have in your staff. It's taking care of the customers, making them feel 
like they're a part of it, making them feel like I'm going to be successful. In the shop that I was just at, you have a bunch of long-term employees. None of them believe that the company can change. Not a one of them. They're all, they're all stuck in this 1980s culture in their company and, and they're all giving up. They've all given up completely and they, they're just hanging in. Does every employee understand their role and what is required of them specifically in the shop and how their actions affect the shop? And that communication has to take place between management and the team. And if, if management's not even considering that, then everybody there is just floating around doing something, not understanding why or how and, and what it means. Absolutely. And that, that culture doesn't exist. You don't have a culture. Absolutely. And, and, and purpose is so important because in the absence of purpose, making money takes over. And when you have a bunch of people, you have techs and advisors, and they think they're only there to make money for the company. It can make them feel dirty. It can make them feel sleazy. It can make them feel like they're, they're trying to do something. But when you have a purpose, when you have a reason that you're there and, you know, let's say you're a shop owner and in your travels as a tech or an advisor, you saw people taken advantage of. And that just hurt you from here. And you decided that you were going to create a safe haven for your customers. That's different than making money. It gets your people rallying behind you. You have a common destination and it makes them feel good to do what they're doing. You know, you used the term earlier, Rick, called friction. And uh, I've been hearing more and more about this where we as business owners, whether it be a shop, an airline, a hotel, a training company, um, we have we create friction for our customers or our clients to receive the services. We actually put things in their way, right? And I ran across a great question about three months ago called, what is the difference between customer service and customer experience, which is another five episodes, Carm. Um, but the idea is, you know, customer service, I shook their hand, I smiled, I, I said hi, and, and the car was done on time. Okay, well, that's customer service. But did I remove all the obstacles from that experience that day? And if I don't have a culture that focuses on the client's experience, right, you're not going to make money. You're just going to be um, a place that churns cars like the, the guy that Cecil referred to, right? Um, so reducing friction inside the business also reduces friction for the clientele as well, right? right? It benefits both sides of it. I think you have to start with who do I want, who do I want to be? You know, and that and that and that's pretty clear to me. I, I want to be honest. Um, I want to be a stand-up guy. I want to be a guy that does what he says. I want to be a guy that my employees look up to. Uh, I want to be a guy that's progressive. That 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 takes things forward as as much as possible. I want to be pushing the envelope. I mean, I don't know how not to, but but these are things that I have to be. So my business has to supply that for me. And it, and and if I do that and people understand who they are and why they're here, then they work so much harder and they appreciate so much more and they recognize their successes. Mm -hmm. um, I think one of the biggest problems we have in our industry is that there's a lack of targets and goals. They're, they're not clear for people and people over time get, get depressed because they, they work and they work and they don't know when they're successful. They don't know when they're achieving and when they're winning the game. And, and I think creating a culture of winning, 
I mean, in our, in our preliminary stuff, there were some, I don't know who, who said it, but somebody kind of brought out, you know, um, creating that, that culture of winning or a culture of uh, production uh, in your business or, you know, a culture of honesty. Um, you know, you, but it never, you have a culture like it or not. Whatever happens, happens in your business. If you don't actively think about it and, and document it and work towards it with your staff, you're not going to get the one you want. And the one you want is the one that's most likely to make you most successful. And the one that happens is the one that's most likely not to make you successful. Not to take that. And, and you know, when you have that culture, Cecil, it also changes your interviewing techniques because now you're looking at, will that person be able to fit into our culture? Absolutely. You no. Know, and that's your personalities now coming together. And, you know, just, emphasizing what you were saying, we need more effective and consistent implementation of our, our ideas in a shop, decisions and processes in a shop. But here's the catch. You want to talk about defined success. You can't do anything and move the shop forward unless you define dates for completion and implementation. You've got to have defined dates. In other words, by October 15th, we want to have, have this achieved. Now we can see are we moving the company forward? We can see our progress and our successes. And so the team. That's a necessary strategy for managing people. You know, clear goals, agreement from people, strategy, uh, timeframes, uh, people that are accountable, and then follow-up uh, uh, consequences. Um, all of those things have to exist in order to really manage somebody and get what you need from them. Now, I'm not saying that you don't get lucky every once in a while and you hire just the right person who is going to do all this all on their own. But, you know, I always say even a blind dog finds a fire hydrant every once in a while. But you're, most, most of the time, you're not going to find that person unless you develop that person in a very conscious way. I was working with somebody two days ago and I said, I've myself included when I had my shop, every shop owner has at least hired one employee that they lucked out on. The person joined, they were engaged, they brought that piece of it. And so we live our lives waiting for another one of those to show up. As opposed to what you said, Cecil and Bob, interview for the position, uh, Cecil trained for the, that kind of a person. And, uh, Right. So we, but because we've had that taste of it, I tease my clients. I said, you're waiting for the right person to drop in your lap. And they're like, yeah, I guess so. I says, well, what about advertising properly? Things like that. But I also wanted to talk about the guy that you, you know, that phrase you use, Cecil, about what's with this culture thing? Like we just fix cars, right? Well, the idea of a business culture is relatively new concept in business, like however, 30, 40, 50 years, right? During the industrial revolution, you know, people were, there was so many people looking for a work at the textile factories in Birmingham somewhere that people just died if they didn't come to work. You know, there, there was no culture. You just, if you didn't work, you didn't eat, right? Now we have a shortage of employees. We have lots of competition. We have clients have so many choices out there. How do we differentiate ourselves? So this culture thing is really, really important. And the last thing I wanted to say on this section was, Cecil, you talked about the, the shop that you talked to where there's long-term employees are still hanging in there. And it's like, well, it's a culture of having given up. Yes. Right? But I wanted to say every single family, my family, you know, different families, we have a culture, right? That goes back centuries, thousands of years. Every family has a culture and every family has its dysfunctions, 
right? We talk about being a family business. Come work for me. I'm a family business. And technicians and service advisors should go, I don't want to work for a family business because I don't know your unwritten rules. I don't know your dysfunctions. I don't know how I'm going to get hurt. I want to go work for a big corporation that has an employee handbook. <laughs> I, I, I got to add something to the beginning of what you were saying. It is so important that the owner or the manager or both live the culture that they want to create. I mean, it, it doesn't matter what you say. I mean, I, I see owners who say one thing and they do something else completely and they're sending mixed signals to their, their employees and the employees are always going to look at what you do, not yeah. what you say. Yeah. Um, so if you, if you, if you have a culture of productivity and you're not talking about productivity, you're not working towards productivity, then you don't have a culture of productivity. You know, if you have a, a culture of honesty and integrity and you're not having those conversations with your people and you're not making sure that happens in your own business, then you don't have that culture. Um, and you're never going to have that culture unless you actively work uh, uh, towards it. If you, you know, as an owner or a leader in my own company, I have to live it 24 seven. Um, and I have to push it 24 seven. Is purpose and values one of the anchors foundations of the, the business culture? Absolutely. Absolutely. Purpose is everything. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so great. If, if I'm listening, think of, think of our, our shop owner out there and says, okay, guys, I'm loving this. I'm getting this, but how do I, how do I get my purpose? What do I do? We, we have three documents that we have created in our company. We have our mission statement, um, uh, better, better business, better life, better uh, industry. We believe that if we help shop owners improve their businesses, that the lives of the people that work there, the families, and even the customers will have a better experience and that that will improve our industry. We have the four pillars for our, our, our business. Um, we have to have relevance. In other words, we have to stay relevant in the industry. We have to make a difference for our clients. Everybody has to win. The customer has to win. The, the um, employee has to win. The owner has to win. And it has to be fun. And last document, we have an ethics statement that's uh, like five pages that states who we will work with, how we think about that, um, even in our ethics document, it says, if we believe that they're not doing something good for our industry, we will work against that and never partner with somebody like that in our company. Cecil's off the wall. Why, why do I, I'm a shop owner. I've got a four bay operation. I don't need to do that. Of course you do. You absolutely have to, because that's, what's going to direct your people. And then you have to live it, which is even you know, the hard part, I mean, you have to live it every day. And when somebody or something happens that's outside of that, you have to go, that's not okay. Let me explain to you why. Here, let, let's pull the document back out. When, you're, when your employees understand who you are and really get it, then they're all moving in the right direction. I mean, um, you know, Bob talks about uh, goals and, and goal setting and, and, and having people that can be successful. Um, if, if they don't know what that is, if you haven't defined that for them, then you're not you're, you're never going to get what you want, and, and and putting it in writing is one of the hardest things for an owner to do, because you have a picture in your mind that you have to put into words. Why should it be the owner? I think you everybody's going to end up at the starts yeah. with the owner, and then the owner now takes it to the team for discussion and improvement, and getting the depth put together as a team. Hey, I'm with Brian Weeks from ATC Auto Center. Hey, are your customers investing in Jasper? 
Absolutely. Um, and I think that uh, the biggest thing is, is in the world of automotive nowadays, uh, let's don't talk about parts and labor so much. You know, when you when you look at the mechanical side of it and look at the parts and labor side, you know, you're you're selling cu- the customer a transmission. But what you're really doing is selling peace of mind. So it's not hard convincing customers to invest in their vehicle. Uh, we don't feel like it is. Uh, we, we haven't really had an issue with that. You know, it's, it's not for everybody. And, you know, in certain situations, you may have uh, somebody that doesn't necessarily see that value, but it's our responsibility to show the value that Jasper has. It's not about your transmission is going to shift through all five gears now. It's more about you can take the kids to soccer this evening without having a problem. You'll be able to make it to work tomorrow without a problem. You can go on that vacation and not have a worry. That's what it's more about. And Jasper provides that so that we can offer that to the customer. Hey, Brian, thanks for your time. Carm, thank you. Any corporate work I've ever done on mission, vision, values, and purpose, it's always been the team. And it was always facilitated by someone. And, you know, the owner can do that as long as the owner doesn't doesn't put blinders on and keeps it, you know, wide open. That's the problem. Well, okay. Well, then that's why we're doing this. We're doing this to teach our CEOs that are out there what the steps are is to help build an enduring culture. But I think there's a there's a really a key management concept here that is important. And and it's also a key leadership concept. I come in with the basic idea. I've already decided who I want to be. I decided what my business needs to achieve. And, and, And that's not just money. Money's a part of it. But it's, 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 it's several other things. Then I go to my staff and I say, look, you know, we, we want to be a company that is like this. Uh, guys, what do you think about that? And, and, and my staff goes, hey, I really like that. But if you stated it this way, Carm, you were involved in, and some of the guys here were involved in our last meeting of coaches and consultants where we were talking about wording on certain things. In an hour, we went through several things, shortened them, made them very clear, very understandable. And by the way, they're not Cecil's things. They're everybody's things because we all worked on it. And, 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 but we started with a, a, a fundamental piece. You can't go in and go, uh, hey, guys, uh, we need culture, so you figure it out. You have to go in and go, we need culture, and here's what I think is most important. Now, what do you think? It was also wide open, too. Yes. Meaning, meaning that there wasn't anything off the table, and and then you sit on it, you incubate it for a while, you get back with the team and says, "Hey, let's go over this." And all of a sudden, I think magic starts to happen, especially after someone incubates the thought of what our purpose, our values, our standards, our mission, our vision are. And you know what? There's going to be so many people that are going to go through this, Rick, that uh, that they're going to be unsure of why the hell are we doing this, but the the, the spoils and the rewards afterwards. Here's the thing. I think you should have a culture that inspires people to come to work. I think you have to have a culture that makes them feel safe while they're there. And I think you have to have a culture that makes them feel fulfilled when they go home. Amen. And, and that doesn't happen by a team at the beginning. I believe it has to happen from me internally first as an owner of a business because I have to stay passionate about it. And I have to be excited about it. And then when I have that in place, not only is it going to be great, it's going to be a great way to help focus me on who's a good hire, right? Who's going to be a good add to the team. 
it's also going to attract people to me that have the same vision and desire to help and serve that I do. So it's so important. Like Cecil said, I truly believe it starts with the owner first, at least the kernel. And well, then it develops with the team. Carmen, and, has, Carmen and you, you got to, about the, uh, why the owner? Well, you know, uh, Rick went with the bugs and the bacteria. I'm going to go book cultural anthropology, <laughs> right? Since the beginning of human beings, there's always evolved somebody who led the group, whether it was a little tribe of hunter-gatherers, whether it was a larger group. Somebody rose to the top for whatever reason, right? I do believe that we as human beings, as a group, look to someone or we take that position in that group, whether it be a nuclear family, whether it be you know, a, a shop, a church. You, you need that piece of it. And like you know, tagging on with what Rick said, it does start with the owner, but I think... We're talking in some pretty big things here, like Cecil's stuff. Like it's like, I want to take that class with those four pillars, right? Like I'm sitting there going, but shop owners are going, I don't know even where to start. And I've been starting my, some of my clients, the newest ones with having, and I've mentioned this before, a seven minute toolbox meeting every day. And they look at me and they go every day. I go, yeah, what are the topics? I says, choose two. Um, how, blah, blah, blah. And I said, the most important thing, and he said, what if nobody, everybody doesn't show up? I said, run it anyways. Yeah. You might have a technician on a test drive. You might have a service advisor giving a client a ride home. You might have an employee showing up late. If you have that meeting every day, even if it's just one topic every day for the first month, and somebody misses the meeting, they're going to ask the rest of the tribe, hey, what did you guys talk about? <laughs> it creates a culture of that. And then people say to me, well, can I delegate that to my advisor or to my tech? I said, not yet. I said, you have to, the key thing about that toolbox meeting is, is you're in front. I find about three quarters of shop owners don't want to be the woman or the guy, the guy or the gal in front. They just want to be in the background, this humble little mechanic who owns this business and doesn't want to be the boss of everybody. That's a default setting for a culture. Like you guys start, somebody said that at the beginning of the session, right? That's a default setting with not taking leadership. You have to be just the physical presence of being in front of the room begins to set the tone of your company. And that daily scrum is important because that is your opening to two-way communication. And when the owner leads it in the beginning, that allows the owner to finally communicate the vision, the culture to mm -hmm. be developed. I'm going to go to Cecil next. And the reason that I'm going to go to Cecil next is because I think there's this hanging word over here, Cecil, and it's leadership. Congratulations. You decided to be a business owner. You, you put yourself in that position. There has to be a leader. And I tell shop owners all the time, there's, there's something else I want to talk about because I think it needs to be said. But, but I tell shop owners all the time that if you want to be the guy working on cars in the back and that's all you want to do, that's okay but you have to hire somebody that can then lead and run the company. You have to have that body, that body, because somebody's going to do that job, whether you do it or not in your company, and you want the right person doing it in the right way. Now, I, I need to make another point because it's so essential. Maslow says that people um, that are worried about their basic needs cannot think of higher function things. In the terms of employees, if they're worried about getting a paycheck or being safe at work or or, or, or any of that, they cannot think about how do I do my job better? 
how do I create a better culture within my company? How do I solve the problems of the company so that the company can be more successful so that I can be more successful? So we have to create safety and security for our employees. And, and that's an essential concept of, of, of long-term success within our business. And, and I think that absolutely has to be said. If your people don't feel like you're on, you, you've got their back or that they're going to be successful there or they're starving, then, then they can't think about other things that you want them to think about and work in other ways that you need them to work. And, and you're right, Carm, leadership is such an essential piece of this. Um, I have to create communication. I'm not a, a, a five-minute scrum guy. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do. I'm a guy that says every meeting we need to be meeting with, every, every week we need to be meeting with our employees and having a discussion about some topic that's the most important topic today in our company. And, and it may just be who we are and what we stand for. Um, until we get that down and until we figure that, and by the way, that's a living document. Um, my, my, um, next year, we'll have another meeting with our staff and we'll spend another two days discussing our four pillars and discussing our, our, uh, our mission statement. And do we want to make adjustments to that? Uh, is there something that we need to add to that that we didn't know this year? Uh, um, to make us better, you know what? Let me let me ask uh, uh, Murray, Bob. Uh, you guys are very much into the uh, the quick meetings, the the daily, and I'm wondering if you're not doing any of that, and you know that you've got to have an enduring culture, and you need to start building. Is communication in this kind of style, startup, small, easy, daily, lead into what Cecil's talking about? Only if the owner or leader is going to listen. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because it's it, to, to get the culture, it has to be two-way communication, which means shut your hole and listen. A culture is not dictatorship. You don't dictate a culture. You're listening. I think there's another. Uh, again, li- it's not just listening. It it, it takes activity. When you come into a company that has bad culture, so let's say I'm a small business owner and I'm very frustrated with my company. It, it, it's, it's leading me by the nose. I'm not getting what I want. That's, a, that's an unhealthy culture. So what I do is I consciously find something that I can do. Uh, uh, and I tell the employees, I say, hey, guys, what, what should we do here? And they go, oh, could you clean the bathroom? Well, I can do that. That, that can get done. I can make sure that gets done. Can you paint the wall? You need to find things that your people are talking about that you can actually then go do to, to prove to them that, that you're listening. Can you? So it's not, act, action has to happen. Always. Because listen, when it comes to all of this, it's not about what you talk about. It's the what you're doing and what you accept from other people right? That's what your true culture is. You can talk productivity. You can talk growth. You can talk caring, love, hugs, whatever. But until you're the one doing it and you're acquiring everybody else to live the same way, then you don't have a culture. You have a speech. Yeah, it's not real. Define it with two words. You know shops that have a job culture and you know shops that have a career culture. Big difference and the entire atmosphere of the building. Our whole industry needs to change their idea about this is a, this is a career. This is a, a worthwhile, it's as important as any lawyer, any doctor, uh, uh, any, any CEO of any big company. 
it's so you're, you're moving your shop to a profession. Absolutely. I want to go backwards a little bit to what you said about listening, which I think is really, really important. But I also observed over the years working with people is that if you haven't developed a culture of leadership on the part of the owner and then a culture of meetings and then into listening, employees won't talk if they don't feel safe. You actually have to start having meetings on a regular basis, even if you are the only one speaking, then lead into, in a pretty short time frame, to ask questions. You will have to create a culture that they know they can speak out. That's another piece of the culture. I don't want you just to be a dictator. I agree with that. But many people won't say anything because they don't know if it's safe. They, don't know, they, don't, they haven't had a bad experience yet, but they don't know if it's going to be a good one. So they just keep their mouth shut because that's how they feel safe, right? I loved where this went. We're going to do a part two, everyone, so that you know. Could we leave the audience with a little how-tos? I mean, each of you have a perspective. I'm a new client. You realize that you've done all the, the due diligence and the research. Carm, we're going to sit down. And even if there's four, you all have four different ways. You have 10 minutes. How do we start building an enduring culture? For me, I start with questions. And, you know, the first thing I ask them there, I ask them, I said, why are you here? Why, why are you here? What's important to you? And a lot of times they really don't know in the beginning. So it's, it, it's pulling and extracting that out from them. And, and then it's getting them to understand that even though don't let today define what tomorrow can be, you know, this is a learning, this is a library to learn from. It's not a room to live in. Richard Flint says that I love it. And, and the reality is we got to have a baseline and we've got to have an idea of where we want to go. And then, and then it's just, okay, so what are some of the things we can do? And, and part of it is the first thing you got to do is own where you're at. And so many people don't want to do that. They want to just pretend it's not there, but you can't get better until you own it. And once you own it, then you start to bring your staff into it. And you say, okay, guys, this, I want to apologize. You know something? We, we've been like this for such a long time, and this is my fault, and I'm sorry. And we're going to do a better job with this. And I need your help. Those are two of the most powerful phrases you can say in any business, which is, I'm sorry. And I need your help. It's so important. And once you do that, people that were adversarial before become allies. If they believe you. If they believe you. And so your actions have to be very consistent with what what you're saying. You can't say, I'm sorry for being a jerk. And, and then be a jerk. Um, I, I always, when, when we're talking, when we're in a company where we have bad behavior, uh, two, two owners that can't get along, husband and wife that can't get along, uh, employees that can't get along, what do you do first, right? You have to define what, what you want. You know, it's, it, it really is, why am I here? So I, I agree with Rick. I, I probably phrase it differently. Um, and in a company, part of that is financial, but it's also I want people to get along. I, I don't want to have to answer every question. I want people that I want to create a culture of, of people answering their own questions. Why don't we get along? Well, we don't get along because we don't agree and that's okay. What they don't realize is it's okay to disagree as long as there is communication and, and, and the ability to have your opinion and then actually have a good conversation and walk away with somebody else's idea. You know, when, when you have a company meeting and, and you're discussing a subject I don't get what I want all the time, even though I'm the owner. I have to say something. I, I, I tell my employees they work in a democratic republic, republic run by a benevolent dictator. 
if there's a leader, the leader is the guy or the person or the woman that, that makes the tough decisions and ha- somebody has to do that. Mm-hmm. People don't get along because they don't have a way to, well, he didn't give me what I wanted, so now I'm not going to give him what he wants. And they, and, and these, they don't have a way to come to uh, solutions. And, and by the way, those, those, those company meetings, those discussions, sometimes I have to swallow what I got to say and let the employees get it out. And then we have to go in that direction, even though maybe I want to go in a little different direction. And I would say, if it's really, really, really important, then I have to hold my ground. And if it's not that important, if it's not an emergency, if it's not into the world, then do what the employees want to do. Give them their way. Murray? I think a lot of us, all human beings, and a lot of our shop owners we work with and their employees haven't been given tools on how to disagree. They haven't been given working skills on how to uh, say, I'm sorry. They haven't been given working skills on, on how to, to process this, right? Because we come from this rough and tumble, blue collar background, you know, suck it up, get her done. Um, you know, we hold our feelings inside and hopefully everything will work out. And then it bubbles over and we got the, we got the mess on the floor that we've got. If I were to give two simple things that people can start with is at any meetings, whether it's the short ones, the weeklies, the monthly meetings, the culture of as an employee, as a person, employee or owner, if you have anything negative to bring to the meeting, something that you don't like, you have to come with two suggestions of alternative solutions to that problem. You cannot say, I don't like this without having, here's two suggestions. Because what ends up happening is the meeting uh, goes down a flushes down a toilet in this negative session. As soon as they come back with, I have to have two positive answers, it changes the culture of meetings. That would be my closing two cents. Uh, I want to go to Bob next, but Cecil, uh, and try to answer this in 30 seconds. If we can't get along, is it possible that we actually have no direction, we have no purpose, we have no values to believe in, so that we really, we've got we've got no northbound train? If you don't have the foundation, you're in trouble no matter where you go. Okay. Um, and and it, just briefly, I've been a jerk for a long time as an owner. I'm not going to stop being a jerk completely. We have to ask their permission and, and, and we have to create a way that they can say, hey, Cecil, you're being a jerk, that we'll accept. And then we'll go, oh, crap, I didn't realize I was doing that behavior. So you've allowed that to happen in your business? Yeah, we, we talk about that, okay. frankly. If I'm going to, you know, if I'm raising my voice and I'm starting to get, because I'm, I'm an excitable guy, right? Um, and, and, and that's scaring people. They have to tell me that because I don't realize it, right? So my employees go, hey, uh, uh, cauliflower, right? Oh, okay. I got it. Right. I know. Okay. I'll call, I'll bring it down. Um, got it. That's, okay. that's a tool. Those are tools that you give people. These are great learning moments to be because there's a lot of people that are high dom and, and, you know, and, and, and are like you, and this, this is, this is my way and they've got to open up. They've got to learn to open up and it goes back to that leadership thing, guys, just goes back to it. Bob, uh, we've got uh, like three minutes. I'll give you the last word. Part of the culture development starts with the leader, of course, but a real good question to ask in your company is, does everybody have mutual respect for each other? And when you don't have mutual respect, developing that culture is going to be so tough. So you have to take a good look at your own people. Do they respect each other? Do they respect you? You can tell, you know, people patronize. You can tell when that's taking place that the respect is not there. So building a culture means you've got to start with understanding who you've got on the team and do they respect each other. And when you find that there's conflict between 
the parties, there's a respect issue. They have a differences of opinion. Why? Have you talked it out? Let's discuss that. Because you have to have each other's back. And I ask every owner, does, do you truly believe everybody in your company has your back? Uh, no. Oh, does your company, do your team truly believe you have their back? Oh, you got a problem. And you better start communicating and having discussions about it. Thank you, guys. Uh, off the charts as usual. It's so good to get together with you guys. Our business coaches lab today is Bob Greenwood from Automotive Aftermarket E-Learning Center, Cecil Bullard from the Institute uh, for Business Excellence, Murray Voth, RPM Training, and my good old friend Rick. Rick, are you and I going to be on a panel coming up soon? Uh, yes. In, in Raleigh. How cool is that? Rick White from 180Biz. Thanks for making this short, tight, to the point. We'll come back for part two. And let me say this. If anyone listens to this who is starved for building an enduring culture, you guys really helped them get started. Thanks a lot, guys. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.